0: Welcome to the Revenue Lounge, a podcast for revenue operations professionals who want to understand the various facets of this important go-to-market function. In each episode, the team at Nectar interviews revenue warriors on how they are reimagining revenue operations in creative and disruptive ways, and what are their secrets to building a scalable and predictable revenue
1: engine. Let's get started. In an era where data reigns supreme, the ability to harness valuable insights can be the key differentiator for organizations striving to maximize their revenue potential. Staying ahead requires more than just traditional strategies. It demands a holistic approach that aligns marketing, sales, and customer success seamlessly. And clean and complete data can help you achieve that and more. Let's talk about this on today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Revenue Lounge podcast. I am your host, Randy Likas, and joining me today is Saima Rashid. Saima is the SVP of Marketing and Revenue Analytics at Sixsense. She is a five-time industry award-winning marketing and revops leader with a demonstrated history of driving change and adoption of a data and insights-driven approach towards decision making. Hi Saima, thanks for joining us today.
0: Hi Randy, excited to be here.
1: Yeah, me as well. So, let's start just talking a little about your current role at Sixsense today.
0: Yeah, I run marketing at Sixsense and I also run revenue analytics, which is An interesting combination when you think of it, right? But I think it is truly a uh, marker of the fact that we are so data-driven at Sixth Sense. And so I run analytics for marketing, sales, and customer success, which means that we're really looking to derive insights to support those internal functions. So it's really about understanding what looks good, what works for all of those functions, and then using those insights to really inform how we go to market. And so that's Particularly exciting for me now that I am in this head of marketing role, because we're just continuing to double down on obviously leveraging six cents for six cents, but just optimizing the way we work, letting the data inform the decision making, taking emotions out of it, which is always a good thing when you talk business, right?
1: Absolutely. So it sounds like your role is both in, in an internal site standpoint, as well as maybe working with clients uh, a little bit as well and helping them understand how they can use data for some of their analytics as well. Is that accurate?
0: Oh, absolutely. I speak to customers and prospects every day. And I think it's a real benefit for me as obviously, you know, running uh, Sixth Sense for Six Sense. I get great ideas from our customers and prospects, but also like keeping a pulse on what's going on in the industry, what types of problems folks are looking for solutions to, how Six Sense can fit into it. I love geeking out on that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, so do I. And we probably use all the time we've got to, to geek out. So I had a conversation last week with a fairly large enterprise. And what they said to me was probably not something that you don't hear often, which is we've got a lot of data, right? And, and the data exists in a lot of different places. And not all the data is great. Like we've got some gaps and not all of it is completely clean. But what we really need help with is making the data actionable, because we'll build these reports or these dashboards and they'll sit in Salesforce And nobody ever pays any attention to them, right? So can you talk about the importance of making sure that you're using the data and the analytics derived from that to make it actionable for the business?
0: Yeah, it's a quote I say often to my team, and not just at Sixth Sense, by the way. I've been leading and building analytics teams for 17 years now. My whole philosophy is a data, an insight, a report means nothing if nobody's using it. We could build the most perfect dashboard that tells the most perfect story for how a business should run. Who cares if it's not being used? And so the real important piece, as you mentioned, is taking that data, deriving insights from it, and then taking those insights to action. And oftentimes the analytics teams or the folks that are in that data day in and day out, they have to be the conduits for driving that action, which typically you know, isn't necessarily maybe the profile of an analytics person on a team, but the better you can communicate a technical sort of insight to a non-technical audience, the better you can put the insight into business context so that it is meaningful for the folks that you're providing that data to. That is what differentiates a good analyst from a great analyst.
1: So what makes it so hard? What are some of the challenges I think that organizations face when they're trying to take that data, and actually make it actionable? What are some of those hands-on challenges that companies may face in doing that?
0: I'll start with the very first one, which does everyone agree about what the data is, right? You ask three people in a company to run a pipeline report for you, I guarantee you, you will get three answers. Because there's so much nuance to how we report on things. And as data has become more accessible, it's also created, you know folks, everyone has like their hands in it. And I. so number one, I would say singular central source of truth is a big challenge where, you know, if there's multiple versions of a number, people will always pick the biggest one to to put on their slide, right? And so centralization and just standardization of definitions, whether it's a warehouse, whether it's Salesforce, whatever your source of truth is, right? Just have that be the source of truth. I like to have a centralized analytics team. Uh, It doesn't have to be huge right? But there's um, benefits that come from scale of having a centralized team that is supporting multiple functions. So whether you're in sales or marketing, the pipeline number is the same. Uh, So I'll start there. And then secondly, I think not everyone was hired in their role to be looking at data all the time. And so there's an interpretation piece of it, right? Um, What is a good pipeline number? What is a good deal? How should I interpret this conversion rate, right? And so putting the numbers into context. Is critical. And context can be versus a plan number. So, you know, if are you're 10% to plan, X is what your number is and your goal is to get to Y, that's a good piece of context. Another piece of context is how are you performing versus the same time last year or last quarter, right? Is this good for us as a business or not? And so finding ways to put the number into context is also very helpful to then again get people to do something about it. If we are converting at a lower rate, if we are generating a lower average selling price for a deal, but you're selling the same number of deals, it's still a problem. But the solution that you would apply to each of those situations would differ greatly if you knew what good looks like.
1: Yeah. I'm going to play that back a little bit. So it sounds to me like the first thing you had said was we need to get alignment across the organization in terms of what are we actually looking at to make sure that when we talk about numbers, we're talking about the same set of numbers or at least the same understanding of what those are. And then I think when you talk about context, it's about... What's important to the business? What metrics are we trying to, to look at to help move the business? Am I capturing that accurately?
0: Absolutely. And then the usage of that data just becomes easier, right? So absolutely context, singular source of truth. I think the third piece, if I had to add something to that, is just the timeliness and relevance of the data. There's so many KPIs out there that who cares, right? There's just yeah. vanity metrics. So We shouldn't be spending a whole lot of energy or calories on it, but the timeliness of the good data is important. If it takes us a month to close the books, the business has moved on a month after quarter end, right? So if you can get, the data doesn't necessarily have to be perfect and final down to the decimal point, but if you have a good view of it sooner rather than later, that allows you to make agile and in the moment decisions that can be really costly if you do have that
1: lag. And how often should you look at maybe changing those metrics or changing the data, right? Because sometimes what we measured before isn't necessarily what's going to take us where we need to go, right? So can you talk a little bit about like, how do you introduce a cadence of reevaluating those metrics or adding metrics that maybe weren't important before or important now?
0: Yeah, so I think it starts with your plan. Right. And the plan is always going to be against those biggest, most important metrics, right? Often those metrics that you're sharing at the board level, right? Are we going to hit our revenue targets? Are we generating enough pipeline? Those things stay pretty consistent, right? You might add in things like velocity or conversion or... Or, you know, add in different flavors of it. Before, maybe you were looking at it by business line. Now you're looking at it by segment and business line and, you know, new business versus upsell. I think there's flavors of those existing metrics that everyone should be looking at. Um, But you can't measure everything with the same measuring stick. And so there are some campaigns, for example, as somebody who's the head of marketing, there are campaigns that might never generate pipeline, but they are in very important for us from a brand awareness perspective or from a health perspective, right? And so using the right yardstick to measure the right campaign is important. And that's where I would apply a nuanced approach. You can't measure everything in the same way, but whenever you are setting a program live, I think the question of what does success look like and how will we measure it That's the time to ask that question so that it's not three months down the road or six months down the road that you're saying, did this work or not? When you are setting something live is when you should be thinking about the success criteria. And so that's what we do here. And so it might not be pipeline or revenue for certain things. It might be increasing ICP web traffic. Are we getting the right accounts to our website so that they're incorporating us as part of their research? Well, in that case, volume of traffic, time on page, engagement, right? Balance rate; those are very different metrics that we would look at. But do it when you're setting that program live, so when you're putting the thought and the effort into really developing that overall program.
1: Yeah, I think that's tremendous advice. Uh, otherwise, you're just chasing the tail, right? You don't really know why you're measuring it if it doesn't align back to the plan that you had set out at the very beginning.
0: Well, and also, why are you doing it then if you're not measuring it? I wish I had been with and headcount and budget to be trying things just because I felt like it, but. If you're doing something, you should have a real clear plan on why. And that includes the success metrics. You know, ops teams are often asked to do hundreds of things. Well, let's prioritize them. And oftentimes putting in these certain gates of, okay, what's your measurement plan? What's your goal? Those things really help bring the more important and meaningful activities to the top of the list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that we hear all the time, and I'm sure you do as well, which is too many companies say, and I'm talking specifically here about CRM data, but it can apply to many different things. My data is just not very good, right? It's dirty. It's outdated. It's stale. Reps aren't good at entering things. Whatever the reason might be, we're all dealing with data that's not complete or not completely clean. So how do you derive actionable insights for a business when you're not necessarily working with the cleanest data in the world?
0: Yeah. So fun fact, everyone's data is Pretty bad, right? Nobody's got it. I I mean, as much as we'd like to think we've got it down, nobody really does. And so I think just number one, understanding that is the reality. And if we wait and hope and pray for perfect data to start doing anything, you'll be waiting for a long time. So, number one, I would just say understand what you're working with. And the way to um, derive meaning from that is to be consistent in how you're measuring it. And again, putting the numbers into context versus last year, last quarter, last month, last week, right? So the consistency of measurement allows for controlling some of the factors that you can't. However, I do think companies should always be working to improve their data sets. And if it's human things like data entry from a sales rep or how you're tagging campaigns and are you capturing certain data points when it's being set live? Those are things that we as ops teams should absolutely be working towards um, improving. There's things you can put in place from just you know timing of and expectations of sellers and marketers. And then there's tools that you could be using to automate some of that data capture. The more we can take the human equation out of it, the better, of course, but oftentimes that's not possible. So there should be a, always work being done to fill in those gaps, obviously prioritize which areas you can fix. But the better you can control the quality of the data, the better your analytics will be, right? I'll give you a quick example. If we sell account-based marketing, we're an account-based marketing platform and we sell software that allows companies to understand when prospects are in market for their products and solutions. That Those predictive models, that AI, that machine learning, directly into your CRM and marketing automation. And so of course, the better data you have around opportunity creation, the number of contacts it takes to win a deal, the persona of those contacts when they engage, right? Tools like Sixth sense can absolutely help make sense of that data. But if there's a great starting point that makes it even better for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. One of the questions I have for you is data gaps. So we speak with people and they go, I I know that there's gaps in our data right now, but I don't know how to bring it forward to the business to say that we need to measure this. And I'll give you an example, like whether it be a a complex product or maybe you're moving up market and you're in enterprise and you've got these complex buying committees that are coming together and everybody has different influence. Many times the opportunity record doesn't have a complete buying committee, right? You just have that one person at the sales...
0: Or any. Yeah. If you require one contact, you'll get one contact, one contact.
1: Yeah, exactly, ex- exactly. So, you know, the RevOps office person might say, I, I have a hunch, I know that if we can just get better at knowing who's involved in our buying community and the influence that they have that like we could have a material impact, but it's not something that we measure today or get today. What's your advice for something like that? Like, how might someone actually take that up in terms of improving some of those gaps?
0: Yeah. So I think you have to obviously build that business case internally. And you can do this in a couple of ways. One thing that I've done is take a deal, right? A high profile deal that everyone in the company knows about Nix is excited about. If you understand that there's data gaps, maybe sit with the rep, build out one slide that shows all the touch points along the way and show that, yes, maybe the opportunity is showing us one or two people, but was probably a 12, 13, you know, even 20-person cycle. And these were the touch points along the way. And this is what marketing did. And this is what sales did. That's obviously a manual exercise, not scalable. But it can often tell a bigger picture of one deal. One deal a quarter, that's a great way to get people to start thinking about the benefit of if we had that data, how much earlier we could engage with the right persona. So I think that's how I've built a business case in the past. And then there's, you know, things that you can do to augment that. Obviously, there's tools like Nectar AI that can automate contact capture from your reps' inboxes. And there's tools like Sixth Sense, by the way, that can show you which personas have been most effective on your um, past deals. And it will actually highlight and recommend those contacts for you to acquire. So one thing that I do is, as an account starts to show early intent for us. It's a prospect that we're interested in. We're just starting to see some early intent. I leverage six cents to acquire contacts and build out that buying center before that account even is handed off to sales. And then of course, we ask sales to continue to build out that buying group on the opportunity record. So there's automation that you can put in place pre-opti. You know, if you're applying an account-based motion to build out that, and then there's technology that you can use post-opportunity, right? To augment what the sellers are doing. Either way, I think the better you have a picture of what a great opportunity looks like, the better you can coach your reps and put those processes in place. Cause let's just do more of what works at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's pull that thread a little bit farther, right? So we talk about pre-opportunity, but even post-opportunity. What about post-sale? And let's talk a little about customer success. And we see it in the industry right now, downsell insurance churn is just an issue for almost everyone, right? People are fighting that. People are trying to understand what that renewal committee looks like, because it might not be the same people that have actually purchased the software. What's some of the data considerations to think about on the success side that could help boost retention rates?
0: Yeah. So number one, I think even the handoff from the seller to the CSM, right? The more complete that opportunity was in terms of both contact data, but also content data, keywords data, pain points, content consumed, all of that, the more complete that is, you know, obviously that's passed from the sales rep to the CSM when that account is now a customer. But beyond that, right, there's considerations around adoption. How many folks are, are now using the product? How many meetings are you having for the first six months, let's say, of a contract? It's a great indicator for how the rest of the year is going to go. And then, other data points like are those customers um, doing research on your competitors closer to your renewal date? It's a great use case, you know, we use at six Sense. A lot of our customers use where our CSMs and our CS leaders will get alerted when an existing customer is looking at a competitor just so that you can get ahead of it, right? And so, yeah, there's so many signals out there. And I think the takeaway for anyone listening is really Use the data to your benefit. Again, whether it's a proactive signaling of churn risk, whether it's understanding what a great opportunity looks like, and those things, even small incremental changes you can make to what you're doing in terms of working your deals can have a huge impact on the back end when it comes to closing more deals, closing them quicker, higher ASPs, because you're talking to the right accounts and the right people at that account, and you're really helping that eventual customer account derive early and good success from your products and offerings.
1: Yeah, that's excellent advice. What about AI? Everybody's building AI right now. Everybody's got an AI component of their tools. I'm not talking so specifically about AI in, in our respective solutions, but like, are you bullish on, on AI for the future? Are you thinking it's being overblown? Like, We'd love to get your thoughts on, on where you think AI is in relation to making sure that we... Can use data to drive business insights.
0: Yeah, I work at Sixth Sense. I'm bullish on AI. We obviously have been in this business for 10 years, whether it was predictive AI or prescriptive or descriptive and now generative, right? And so for me, again, all of the data that is available to us, you really do need very powerful AI machine learning to make sense of it. An example is our um, generative AI product that we've actually had in place for two years now. It's an email assistant, an AI assistant that can take some of the heavy lifting off of what our BDRs do to do timely outreach, in-context outreach to um, prospects that are, are showing interest And we've leveraged this um, ourselves and are uh, increasingly generating a higher proportion of our pipeline autonomously through this. And we've got some customers that are showing great success and so hugely bullish on AI, both from, of course, our product perspective, but also just for marketing organizations, for sales organizations. I think that there's... Huge benefit in streamlining what we're doing, bringing consistency to it, even just ideating and iterating on things, right? It's, it's not a silver bullet and it's not the end all or be all. I don't think it's taking our jobs, but I think it is making our jobs a lot more streamlined and efficient and just helping us in, in ways that we weren't able to leverage before.
1: 100%. What's your favorite part about working in either you know revenue analytics or now that you've got more of a sort of a marketing role? What, what's your favorite part about your job?
0: I love basically what we're able to do for our customers and prospects. I love speaking to them. I love sharing how we use Sixth Sense for Sixth Sense with them. We're almost taking the industry along with us. And I challenge my team to be the best possible customer of Sixth Sense. And so we have to be at that tip of the spear driving net new use cases. And so it's cool for me to be essentially running marketing at a company that sells marketing and
1: sales software because... Yeah, you're on the razor's edge, right? And as a Sixth Sense user in the past, like really cool stuff. And so it's got to be fun being the marketer for one of the coolest companies out there.
0: It's amazing. Very meta, very exciting. And it's probably the reason I joined.
1: Yeah. What about the flip side of that coin? What's your least favorite part about it?
0: (laughs) Well, you've always got a microscope on you, right? If you're challenging yourself to be the best, the one driving cutting edge use cases everyone's looking to you for the next answer, the next quick win. And so it's an exciting thing, but it's also obviously a huge responsibility. So I would say it's a double-edged sword for sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What advice would you give someone who is maybe a little more junior in their career and they aspire to have your job one day?
0: Yeah, Yeah, it's something that I took to heart a long time, and it is about showing impact at the end of the day. You should always be thinking of the impact that you are driving bring meaningful insights to wherever you are, whether it's a meeting, by the way. This is truly something, if you internalize it, you're going to do it every day. If you're in a meeting, you're there for a reason. Speak up, ask the questions, be present. And then as you're doing your job, make sure that you are, going back to measurement, measuring the impact of what you're doing and sharing that broadly because those are the sorts of things that will make someone come to you next time they do need help. And I've started my career in analytics. And for me to be running marketing at again, once one of the coolest companies that out there, I truly think it is because I bring a, a different perspective, maybe, but also I'm able to constantly show the impact of the things we're doing, whether it's a small little pilot we're running for three weeks. Or whether it's a big program that we've run for multiple years. If you've got a pulse on your measurement, if you've got a pulse on what's working and what's not working, and by the way, how this can improve everyone's life, make sure you're using your voice to do that.
1: Excellent advice. Last question for you. What's one book in the recent past that you've, or maybe an old standby that you love that you might recommend to the audience?
0: Yeah, I'm actually going to give you a fiction and nonfiction because I'm reading both. So right now I'm reading Sales Pitch by April Dunford. It's a great book around how to better position your product in today's competitive landscape. So it's a great read. I'm not finished yet, but I've enjoyed it so far. And then nonfiction, just yesterday I read a book. I have a son in high school, and so I love to read the books that he's reading as part of his English class because we can discuss it, and I love to get his point of view. And so I just finished Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. It's a super quick read, but boy, it leaves you with a whole lot of thoughts around just what life can be like and what sort of challenges folks are facing. And so I loved it. It starts great conversations. So I'd recommend those too.
1: So one of my favorite things about hosting this podcast this season is I get a collection of really good books to read. So I will add those two to my list and forward to reading them. But uh, listen, Simon, I appreciate your time. This was a really insightful conversation. I look forward to talking with you further and uh, have a great day.
0: Thanks so much. I had a blast, Randy.
1: All right. Thanks.